You can take your uh, Bibles and go with me uh, to uh, the book of Mark. Love you, bro. Thankful for you. Let's go to uh, the book of Mark, and uh, we are in uh, Mark chapter 10. We want you to have a, a copy of God's Word. Man, we love doing this. We love studying the Bible together. And, uh, and if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We want you to have a copy of it. You can uh, grab the attention of one of our ushers. We want you to have a copy of that. Uh, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Uh, you'll find us under events there. You'll find our church, and you can uh, follow along with the Scripture. Take notes if you'd like. We want you to be there with us in Mark, starting in chapter 10. And today we are talking about marriage. My fellow nerds, I love you. All right, uh, so we're talking about marriage. A- anybody like weddings? Do we have anybody that likes weddings in here? Um, okay, anybody like wedding cake? Any wedding, wedding cake? Anybody? We get into weddings. Don't try to kid yourself. I know you do because you went crazy over Harry and Meghan, and, and, and I know we get into these things because it's super fun. Weddings, weddings are a lot of fun. There's cake. There, everybody's celebrating. Everybody's happy. Everybody's eating cake. They're, they're dancing, there's, there's music, everybody's dressing up, they make really cool cakes. It's awesome. I love weddings. As a pastor, I really love doing weddings. But one of the things that I, when somebody comes to me and they say, hey, I, we, we need you to do our wedding, I get this awesome opportunity to do some premarital counseling. And one of the things that I try to do in premarital counseling is help them understand, like, look, I, I get it, okay? The day is going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. But we're not just preparing for a wedding day. We're preparing for a lifetime together that's going to be pleasing to Christ. But the hard reality is a lot of marriages uh, today end tragically in divorce. What's even more tragic is that this is happening in the church. This is happening among uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't think that we need uh, statistics on, you know, what the divorce rate is in the church versus the divorce rate in the United States. Because here's the one stat that I care about. It's likely that you have been impacted by divorce. Whether in your own life or in someone that you know and love that's close to you. Well, Jesus is going to give us some really specific instruction in this area for discipleship. And so I don't know that I need to do much more to help create the sense of urgency than to tell you that you need to hear this if you're married. Hey, you need to hear this if you want to be married someday. And you need to hear this if you know somebody who is married. Because you might need to Help draw their eyes back to what God says right here. We're just going to open up the Bible, and and we're going to let it uh, speak to us this morning. And I realize this may be uh, challenging. This may be convicting. uh, This may be painful. This may open up um, some wounds of the past. But I just, I want you to hear these words from a God who loves you. He's a God who forgives The psalmist said, he forgives all of your iniquity. And it's a God who has placed you in this church here at Harvest that loves you too. And we want 
to speak these truths and urge you towards obedience, but we want to do this kind of with, with humility, and we also want to do this with a little bit of compassion, okay? Uh, we want to draw our hearts as a church back to God's design for marriage. Because I believe that our marriages could bring glory to Christ. Here's a big idea of the text. Here's what you need to know, okay? God's design for marriage is always best. It is. The question is, do you want what he wants? Let's look at it. Chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus left there, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up in order to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, well, what did Moses command you. And they said, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this command. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but are one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Father, I pray that we would submit to your word um, even now. Um, these are troubling, difficult, sometimes painful things for us to have to wrestle with. But I pray that we would swim in the grace of God today. I pray that you would draw our hearts back to Christ. I pray that you would help us to see what you originally intended for this incredible institution, this, this, this great picture of marriage. And I pray that the marriages in our church would magnify the love of Christ to a watching world. So I pray that we would hear this with humility. I pray that your message would be clear and that we would be more like you in this. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, let me give you um, two practices then of disciples who actually get God's design for marriage, okay? Um, here's one. Do this. Check your heart. That's what he's trying to say to us this morning. Check your heart. Because here comes, verse 2, the Pharisees. Uh, I'm like, we, we're glad to see them again. We've, we've missed them. They always kind of make things interesting. And, and the reason they're coming up to Jesus, the text says, is because they want to test him. Now, the only ones in the book of Mark who test Jesus are Satan and the religious leaders. Not exactly a list that you want to be on, okay? And, and they're questioning here the legality of divorce. Maybe they're hoping in this moment to get Jesus into some legal trouble uh, with King Herod. 
Because you remember back in chapter 6, what happened to uh, John the Baptist when he crossed King Herod over this issue? Remember that? Because he went up to King Herod, and he's like, hey, man, you, you can't have your brother's wife. That's not lawful for you to do that. And what happened? He lost his head. They're thinking, well, maybe if we get Jesus talking about this, he'll get into trouble, and Herod will take care of him for us. Or maybe they're just hoping the crowd's all gathered around. Maybe they're hoping to trap Jesus, and that somehow it's going to be really clear that that they're going to prove he's not really following and teaching God's law. No, this approach is historically not awesome, okay? So whenever they try this, uh, it, it, it really kind of backfires uh, pretty much all the time. Uh, but, but here they are. Uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus throws it back at them. Verse 3, he says, well, what did Moses, what, what, what did he say? What did he command you? Now, when he says Moses, what he means is uh, the Old Testament law for the children of Israel. Now, why is Jesus asking this question? Does he need a refresher on Old Testament? Like, did Jesus forget what it said? No, he knows exactly what it says. In fact, he knows what the law says better than they do. Which is why he knows that they are missing the heart of God's law. Here they are again misunderstanding what God intended. They can point to chapter and verse. In fact, that's what they do. Verse 4, they said, well, Moses Moses allowed us to, uh, to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Moses said that, and it's true. In fact, I want to show it to you. Uh, they get this from Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, verse 1. You see this? Deuteronomy chapter 24, this is what Moses said. When a man takes a wife and marries her, If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce. So Moses allowed this. It's kind of a concession that he made. The question that they're really debating is is what what does that mean? What, What are the grounds? What are the circumstances where divorce is permissible? And that's probably what the, the Pharisees here are really asking Jesus. They, they want to know what's, what, what, what would he say is legitimate for it. Uh, because some of the rabbis uh, would say that, 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 you know, like a man, if he finds no favor with her, that's really broad. That, that, that could mean almost anything. Like you could almost have any reason for wanting to divorce your wife and that would be okay. Other rabbis said, no, 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 no. It's only for... Um, it's only for adultery. That's the indecency that uh, you might, if she's having sex with another man, then, then. But, but, but all of them, all of the rabbis assumed that divorce was lawfully permissible. That God was letting that happen. But, but, but notice what Jesus says. He says, hey, you guys, do you know why? Moses gave you that command? Do you see it? I want you to see it. Verse 5. Look at it. Look at it. Look at, look at what he says. Here's, here's why. Verse 5. Jesus said to them, It's because of your hardness of heart. See, Moses knew that, that Israel had hard hearts. They didn't really want what God wants. But, but here is Jesus saying to the Pharisees, it's because of your 
hardness of heart. And so what Jesus is doing, he's identifying the Pharisees as stubborn Israel with the same heart condition. This is an indictment against them. You're just like Israel. You see, in the Old Testament, God knew that divorce was going to happen. Why? Because people are sinners. But he wasn't trying to promote this as a good thing. Like, I want you guys to go ahead and just embrace this. It was a concession that was made because they had hard hearts. Do you want to know why divorce is a reality in the church today? Do you know why? It's right there in the text. It's because of our hardness of heart. See, at times, we're not as interested in what God wants as what, as in what we want. And so we want to know what we can get away with. And I just think it's really important that we come to this text and we don't miss Jesus' message because we're getting stuck on the technicalities of divorce. A lot of times when we, um, we read these passages, sometimes the only time we read these passages is when we're wrestling with a specific case, when, when somebody that we know is, has been hurt in their marriage or, or, or they're not happy or their marriage is falling apart. So we look up these verses and we start asking the question, do they have a biblical right to get divorced? And even commentators, a lot of times they approach this text like lawyers taking a fine-tooth comb to Jesus' arguments to determine when is it allowed and, and when is it not. And they get wrapped up in, in, in scenarios like, well, what about this? And what if this happens? And does this count? And can you get divorced in this scenario? And what about this circumstance? And Listen, listen. The goal is not to see what we're technically allowed to get away with. Can we just stop approaching Jesus like Pharisees and listen to what he just said? He said it's possible that you have hard hearts. And disciples who hear that, have, have there's an urgency to check our hearts. Man, I don't want that to be true of me, especially after we just heard at the end of chapter 9, Jesus was saying, listen, if, if your hand causes you to sin, what are you supposed to do about it? Cut it off! It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go into hell. You see, disciples have this, this acute awareness and hatred of our sin, and they deal with it now. We want to stay as far away from sin as possible. And so really, this whole text is a lot more about discipleship than divorce. And... and the better question for us to be wrestling with is not a technical list of scenarios where God allows divorce, but a personal examination of ourselves. Does my heart want what God wants? You see, we need to ask ourselves that question now before divorce is ever on the table. I think if we learn to want what God wants, what his best is for us, then divorce won't really be an issue in our marriages. What does your heart want? What, what, does, what does my heart want? Do, do I 
care more about being happy or about being holy? Well, you got to know that only sin makes that a dichotomy. Because this is often one of the ways that, that people defend. Think, think about this. You've heard this before. I'm sure that even, even believers that, that run into divorce and choose to go down this road, a lot of times you'll hear them kind of defend that decision by saying, well, God wants me to be happy. Now, what does the Bible say to that? You know what the Bible says? Yes! Yes, He wants you to be happy. But only He knows best What's going to bring you lasting happiness? Only he knows that as you are rejecting sin, as you find your satisfaction in Christ, will you have everlasting joy. His greater concern for you is not your immediate happiness, but your holiness, because he knows that in that you will find satisfaction in Christ. He's taking the long game approach. And he's trying to help us understand selfishness never produces happiness. It doesn't. Uh, let's talk about that for just a minute. Here's, here's what happens when, when you care more about being happy than about being holy. Here's, here's what happens. It might work for a while. It might. Because even selfish people are happy at weddings. It might be because they're eating cake. But, but a lot of it, you know, it's been their hope and their dream to find the one. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, the one. It's, it's this one that I was meant to be with. It's my soulmate. And, and, and so finally, it's this, this, this person that I find that, that fills me with an incredible sense of love. And it makes me feel so good. And I am convinced that this person can make me happy. And who doesn't dream about that? Listen, marriage is meant to be enjoyable. Jesus is the one. He, God told us. He said, if you find a wife, you find a good thing. Amen? That's a really good spot for an amen, guys. Okay, uh, my, my wife um, has been, and I still say this, she has been, I know I'm embarrassing her right now. She has been my dream girl since the moment I saw her. No joke. She is my dream girl. There are times where I'm like, I still don't even get it. I don't even know why she married me. I'm glad I won. Uh, but, but, but back when we were dating, I remember uh, we went, uh, we were like kids back then. We went on uh, a date to go see the musical Wicked. Anybody ever seen Wicked? Okay, so we have another nerd out here. Uh, so while we were seeing this, this musical, one of the lines that really captures this, they, they, they sing this, happy is what happens when all your dreams come true. And that's why people get married, right? Because I want to be together with my soulmate, live in the dream. Like, this, is, this is probably why you got married. You wanted to. But have you ever noticed how many, um, how many love stories and uh, Hallmark movies, not that you watch those, but... Um, have you ever noticed how many of those end with uh, a wedding? And the reason is because if, if you have two lovers that are really just pursuing their own happiness, but you want to make sure that your story has a happy ending, you have to cut to the credits right after the wedding scene because it can only get worse from here. 
Now, now, it might last a little bit. You might have a honeymoon period. Maybe, maybe there's a time where that, that if you're in it, uh, just a concern for your happiness, it might work for the short term until the dream turns into real life. And then you discover that the one has bad breath. And she does not, I'm just saying. I just want to like put that out there. But you discover that, that this one that you thought was going to bring you so much happiness has these like irritating little uh, habits. Like they squeeze the toothpaste from the middle of the tube. Like who does that? And they constantly want control of the remote. And they don't listen to the things that you say. They don't seem to care at all. They say things to you. They do things to you that hurt you. It, it seems like they don't really care about how they're making you feel at all. And suddenly you find yourself dealing with stress and disappointment, and unmet expectations, and you are confronted with their sin. You are confronted with their selfishness, and you realize, I don't like this. I'm not happy anymore. And it's at that point that selfish people with hard hearts who are more concerned with their own happiness than their holiness choose divorce. We're trying to make it really clear here. I don't know that I need to even say this, but marriage is not easy. I mean, you take two selfish sinners and you start, they start living together under the same roof. What do you think is going to happen? And then they start having kids and you throw some more little sinners into the mix. And listen, if there's not a sensitivity to the Spirit of God and a willingness to deal with sin, there's going to be major trouble. So what Jesus is saying to us now is check your heart. Check your heart. Is your goal just to be happy or is your goal to bring glory to God by living in obedience to his word? Is it your desire to be holy as God is holy? Jesus knows that's not true of the Pharisees. They don't want that. They don't want what God wants. And he's been trying to urge his disciples. He's been trying to challenge disciples since chapter 9. What, what did we just look at the last couple of weeks? He said, don't put yourself first. Hey, guys, I know you're like climbing over each other, trying to be the greatest. Stop thinking about you first, okay? You learn to be last of all. You be a servant. And if you see sin in your life, get rid of it. Cut it off. Do whatever you have to do to get rid of sin. It doesn't belong. And so with that context in mind, with, with all of that discussion on discipleship in mind, when we come to chapter 10, we shouldn't be asking the question, what are we allowed to do? Can we get divorced? Is that permissible? Instead, we should be asking, God, what do you want us to do? Do you want that? Because we want what you want. Which would lead us to the, the second practice for disciples who get God's design. Here it is. Note this. Do this. Aim for God's best. Aim for God's best. He says, yes, I, I know, verse 5, I know, Moses let you do that, but it was because you had hard hearts. Verse 6, he says, but from the beginning of creation. He's like, all right, all right, you guys want to go back and figure out Moses. Let's go back before Moses. And let's find out what God intended. He points Back to creation, not the law. 
You see, Moses' concession here can't really show us God's original intention. You're not going to learn how to live in God's best design for your marriage by looking for loopholes and legalities, where instead of moving toward the heart of God, we just want to know how close can we get before we cross over the line. What's, what's permissible? Where's, where's the boundary? Can we get divorced in this situation? What about this situation? What, 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 if, what if, no, 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 no. That's like trying to learn how to drive a car by asking the question, how can I crash this car without getting hurt? What do you mean crash the car? Don't, don't crash, drive the car. Don't crash it. Here's, here's what he's saying. Aim higher. Aim for God's original intention for marriage, the way that he designed it, all the way from the beginning. So what is it that he wants? What what, what is it that God wants? He says it right here, verse 6. He said, God made them, man, we need to hear this. Uh, God made them male and female. I know that this is a sensitive issue right now in our culture. We're just going to say what the Bible says on this. Let's just declare it, okay? God designed marriage as a covenant between one man and one woman. We are unapologetically committed to this truth because it's what the Bible says, but we don't have to be jerks about it, okay? Um, We're going to boldly proclaim this. We're going to proclaim it faithfully, but we're also going to proclaim it with compassion. Because we know that the people whom God created and designed would be spared so much pain and so much confusion if they would learn to listen to the one who made them and trust that he knows best. Do you want that for people? Yeah, I want that for them. So we're going to say this with compassion, that God made them male and female. Men and women are equal before God. Different roles, yes, we're not going to get into that this morning, but they are equal in value and equally responsible to be obedient in God's design for marriage. So here it is, verse 7. Here's, he, he's going to quote now uh, from Genesis chapter 2. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Here's what he's trying to get across. You're going to leave mom and dad. Do you know, do you know, that your number one relationship here on this earth, apart from Christ, your number one relationship here on this earth is not with your parents. Some of you just breathed a sigh of relief. Your number one relationship here on this earth is not your kids. Man, some parents need to hear that. Your number one relationship here on this earth is with your husband. It's with your wife. What he's saying is, before God, the two of you are one flesh. One flesh. If you ripped somebody's flesh apart, they wouldn't survive. That's the same idea right here. What he's saying, verse 9, is what therefore God has joined together. Let's just emphasize that, that God did this. This is not some mere uh, contract that we could just tear up with paper. There's something wonderfully mysterious about this union where God makes two people one. And he's saying, if God has done that, let 
not man-separated. It's meant to be permanent. That means for us that divorce is not an option. Divorce is not an option. Pursuing separation is not what God wants. And Jesus reiterates this, verse 11 and 12. The disciples are like, you got to be kidding me. Is this? They're, they're asking about this a little, little bit later on. Like, they just want to know, like, did, did, did we hear you clear on this? And here's what he says. If, if you divorce your spouse and you marry somebody else, you're actually committing sin against the one whom God designed for you to be married to for life. And so let's just, let's just make it really clear. Let, let, let's just declare uh, really clear, a summary of what Jesus is trying to say to us today. Well, here's what he's saying. Don't get divorced. That's not aiming for God's best. Now, why? Why, why is this important? Why, why do we need to get this? Here's why. The gospel is at stake. It's because marriage is a picture of the love of Christ for his church. I want you to see this in Scripture because I don't want you to just hear my words for it. Paul actually says this. He quotes the same verse in Ephesians chapter 5, and he says this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, he says, This mystery is profound. This is not simple. This is not easy. It's not just a mere contract written on paper. This is a mystery, and it's profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Here's the, here's the glorious reality of the gospel. If you have put your faith in Jesus, then you belong to Christ. You are loved. He loves you. And that means there is nothing, I repeat, there is nothing that will ever separate you from him again. Why? Because Jesus will never divorce his beloved. He will never do that. Jesus will never turn his church away. He will not cut us off. We will never be separated from him again. That means then that the beauty of the gospel is on display. When, when two sinners who are forgiven by God learn to put to death their own selfishness and treasure the unity that they have in Christ, honoring that commitment that they've made before God, that no matter what, we're going to keep this promise and we're demonstrating for a watching world the, the, the awesome, the, the shocking, the it doesn't make sense, I can't believe it's real, never-ending, steadfast love of Christ. That's what we're displaying in our marriage. Now, does that sound better than the casualties strewn throughout the church and the families that are ripped apart by this choice when somebody chooses to separate what God intended to be permanently bound in love? Do we just say what God's word says? His design is always best. Is that what you want? Is that what you're aiming for? Let me just make this really practical then for us. What it means today is I need to pursue oneness with my spouse today. Come on, church, let's get after this. Some of you, I realize that a lot of people aren't married here. Can I just say to you, 
Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 would tell you, let marriage be held in honor among all and keep the marriage bed undefiled. So we want to honor marriage. This is a special thing. So if you're not married, then stop pretending like you are and trying to enjoy the benefits of that intimacy and that unity. Stop living together. Stop having sex together. That's not God's design. That's not honoring what God has set up as something wonderful, this mysterious, glorious display of the gospel. But you can be preparing for marriage even right now. Know the best way to do that? Learn to kill your selfishness now. I'm seeing all the married heads go like this. Had we learned that then, (laughs) you can be preparing for that now. And it might mean that for those of you who are, you need to have a conversation. Maybe you need to reaffirm your commitment. We don't need to recommit. You already committed. We need to just reaffirm that to one another. Maybe you need to look him in the eye. Maybe you need to say it out loud to her. Babe, I made a promise to you. There are no conditions. It doesn't matter what you do. It does not matter how hard it gets. I am not giving up. We're in this together. And don't, can I just say, don't, don't use the D word in your home. Divorce is not an option, and it's not a joke either. It really has no place in our conversations. Why? Why would you talk about that? Here's where it gets really hard. It means that I have to pursue oneness daily. By learning to do what Jesus has been trying to tell us since chapter 9. We've got to learn to put myself last. Instead of looking out for my own happiness and my own desires and, and putting myself first, I'm going to do um, what he says. I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to do what Philippians says to do, that in humility, count, insert your spouse's name, count them more significant than yourself. It's you before me. There might be some things that you've been doing. There might be some attitudes that you've had. There may be some habits that you've let go in your life that are really fighting against that oneness. Some things we need to repent of today. Let's get back to what God wants for our marriages. Now, I want to encourage here. Because I realize that for a lot of people hearing this, this is kind of like lemon juice to a paper cut or worse. Um, let, me, let me make this clear. If you are being physically abused, please don't stay silent about that, okay? That is not God's design for your marriage. And there's protection from that. And we as a church, I want to do whatever we can to help keep you safe. Can we help? Or maybe you've heard this this morning and this whole time you've been feeling like, man, I wish I'd heard this earlier. And that sin, you've been feeling that guilt because this is your sin. You've already gotten divorced then you must hear this. You must hear this. 
there's forgiveness in the name of Jesus. That if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You, you can just drink deep of grace and forgiveness here. The psalmist says that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes our transgression from us. Praise God. There's forgiveness, okay? And maybe you find yourself in an unbiblical marriage where you realize, I shouldn't have gotten divorced, and I shouldn't have gotten remarried. Well, let me just make it clear. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to fix one sin by committing another. God hates divorce. This is not what he wants. It's not his best design. And so stay married, okay, and pursue God's best now. Some of, some of dear friends of ours that we've known had to co- go through that realization, like, that was wrong. Like, we shouldn't have gotten divorced. We shouldn't have gotten married. That wasn't what God wanted for us. But they've learned to confess their sin, and they've been forgiven, and now they're moving forward, and they're some of the greatest models of faithfulness and the love of Christ. You can do that. And unfortunately, it's also possible that some of you are married to someone who doesn't love Christ, who doesn't want to obey. Would you just pray that God works in their heart? And Paul would say to you, Romans 13, so if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. He says in 1 Corinthians, you might win them over. But you can't change their response. But you are responsible for how you respond. So just continue to love them faithfully, okay? And if you are struggling with any of this, if there are questions, if you're wrestling with this, would you come talk to me? I I would love to open up the Bible. I know that some of these are hard. I know that some of these are sticky. But let's open up the Bible together. We'll counsel you from God's word. I want to put my arm around you. I want to tell you we love you. And we'll walk with this. We'll walk through this struggle with you. Okay? But we're going to be a church that just boldly and humbly proclaims that God's design for marriage is always best. Do you want that? Do you want what he wants? Father, I pray that you would impress these truths on us. I pray that you would help our hearts to desire holiness over our own immediate gratification and happiness. Lord, I pray that we would care more about your glory than about our own comfort. Lord, these are weighty, serious, difficult circumstances that a lot of us find ourselves in. What do we say and how do we encourage? And Lord, I pray that we would not be afraid to hold out your word and believe that this is best. Well, you made us. Of course you know that this works best. But I pray that we would do that with compassion and love wanting to see others experience your best. I pray that as a church, we would draw closer to your heart. It would become evident that we want what you want for us. 
for those of us that are married, I pray that we would reaffirm this commitment, this promise that we have made. We're not giving up on this, Lord. We made this covenant before you. I pray that you would strengthen us to that resolve. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would, because of your kindness, lead us to repentance where necessary, that we would pursue unity. And for those who dream, those who look forward to the day where you will bring that special one into their life, I pray that you would give them great patience and trust that you know best, that your timing is best. And I pray that even now they would learn to put to death their selfishness and to treasure Christ above all else. God, for all of us, we just want to swim in your amazing grace this morning. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you're doing to help make your church more like yourself. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.